0: hello 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 welcome back to another episode of sheep thrills um happy thursday afternoon let me tell you about my morning so i get home last night go to bed whatever i'm like so deep into my like rem cycle like i am asleep 2 30 in the morning fire alarm goes off i don't get to go back to bed until three o'clock in the morning Horrifying, I would then wake up first thing I had to do today was take an exam and then I had to fight for my life in the ticket master um queue to get all things go tickets but now I'm here talking to you guys, having a great time. I also was successful in that fight for my life, so that's exciting um but anyway, if you're wondering i'm just i'm I'm tired I'm a little sleepy girl right now because. I got woken up brutally at 2.30 in the morning. But with that being said, it's a thrilling, very exciting episode of Sheep Thrills. Our last, like, regular episode of the season, um, the next two weeks, as I mentioned, are going to be a little bit of a, uh, you know, look back, look forward type situation, so that's very exciting. Um, But today, we are going to be talking about the recent settlement between Fox News and Dominion Voting Systems. Um, we're going to talk about the federal budget um, and the debt limit fight that has been a-brewin' on Capitol Hill, um, where that f- process is going now. Um, and then we are going to talk about the various shootings that have happened this week um, and kind of get get to the bottom of, of, of what's, what's going on in that space as well. Um, so let's just jump into it. So this Fox Dominion settlement, um, again, this has been another case that's been brewing for a pretty long time. Um, Dominion, which was Dominion is the like voting technology system that was used in a lot of swing states um, and kind of used throughout the 2020 um, election process. Um, and it kind of became the the, the, the the boogeyman for a lot of Republican, um, speak, people, Republican talking heads, Republican um, news commentators, as basically, oh, the, this company is, you know, foreign. They're a Canadian company. Um, they, you know, did work, you know, elsewhere in the world. So therefore, they must be kind of a, um, the reason why this election was stolen, and it was clear that these systems were hacked and whatnot. Um, and so again, it kind of brought them to the forefront. They were really blamed. For a lot of, they were were blamed for the people that thought that the election was stolen. A lot of people were pointing their fingers at Dominion voting systems saying that they got hacked or they were in on it. It was an inside job um, and it was basically kind of their fault that uh, this whole situation happened. So Dominion sued Fox for defamation, um, basically claiming that they lost a lot of... Um, potential income. They lost a lot of potential clients um, because of the fact that Fox News was continuing to kind of spin these lies and like mis and disinformation um, about the Dominion voting systems. And because they, you know, obviously Fox News has such a large reach, they basically said, you know, they, they were spreading lies about us that had a direct impact on our you know, economic ventures and our success as a company. Um, And so this case has been happening for a pretty long time. I think it started, must have started at least a year ago. Um, And I haven't been tracking this case super closely, but it definitely appears, you know, when when it came out that the, that they were going to go through the settlement instead of going to court, uh, there was some some drama. It kind of appeared that the people who are hoping that this case was going to trial um, People who are hoping I really cannot speak. It's because I got woken up at two thirty in the morning. Um, <laughs> I love to complain. I love to complain. Okay, I'm so sorry. Since I have a microphone in front of me and I have the ability to tangent, the fire alarm went off. It was a real fire alarm, it wasn't a drill, because somebody was someone someone burnt food, and it set off the fire alarm. Who was cooking? Because also, like, people are like, oh, well, maybe people were smoking like, it wasn't actually food. Like, when you were walking down the stairs, like, you could totally tell that someone burned food. Who is cooking at 2.30 in the morning? Go to bed. Figure it out in the morning. How do I spin this back to what I was talking about? Um, anyway. <laughs> I'm so mad. Um, the people that were hoping that this Fox Dominion trial was going to go to trial... Um, are kind of the same people who were really pulling for um, the Donald Trump case to go to trial. Basically, kind of both cases were situations in which um, you really wanted everything to be drawn out, everything to be put in front of, of, of kind of a national audience, so that it was, first of all, a little bit embarrassing in some situations, and then also just generally, you know, when you get to see all of those claims kind of put out in in front of you, um, it makes it a lot harder to kind of fight against the narratives that that they were trying to build the whole time. So with this particular case, you know, Fox had perpetuated a really harmful narrative to the public. Um, and it really contributed maybe not equally to Donald Trump, but like certainly it it was it was a big contributor to the Stop the Steal movement to the January 6th um, kind of nonsense in the first place. Um, and people really wanted Fox News to be held accountable for their actions in a way that was a little bit more damning, potentially, than just the settlement. Um, again, seeing Fox News have to defend themselves, again, this was going to kind of be a, a big trial, a big show trial, um, to see them have to defend themselves and then also potentially to be found guilty uh, would be pretty detrimental to their sway as a news source. Um, or so the argument goes, that it's really hard to claim that they have validity as a news source if they have to admit that they lied to the American public about the, the fact that Dominion voting systems um, were packed or, you know, part of some large cover-up to steal the election from Donald Trump. Um, and I'll get into this a little bit more later, I think, but I think that the issue with that argument is that, like, the Fox News brain rot is real. Um, like, obviously having, like, especially, like, forcing them to apologize, forcing them to admit that they lied would, would be pretty bad. But at the same time, what Fox News viewer is going to see that and be like, oh, well, they ha- they said that they lied, and therefore they lied, and therefore I'm going to stop watching Fox News, and therefore I'm a Democrat now. Like, that's just not... I feel as if that that is not the way that political discourse works today, Um, and I don't know how many, like, hardcore Fox News viewers that are really following this case are actually going to, like, turn things around and, like, support something or someone else, um, kind of based on the results of this trial, but whatever, it's, whatever. Um, and an additional component of this is that the settlement is for $787.5 million, which is a huge amount of money. Um, and it totals an amount that is kind of higher than what Dominion is actually worth as a company. And they claimed um, $600 million in damages, um, and of course they got a lot more than that. And so this kind of pretty big sum is pretty damning in itself. Obviously, it's going to go away a lot faster than an actual trial, um, which could be you know months long and, and have like a a more significant um, waiting time. Um, but again, the, the amount sorry, to get my water. Off. The amount of um, money that they that they have to spend out to Dominion is is again it's a pretty damning. Um, amount of money. So I feel like that's, you know, that's a pretty significant part as well. Um, Additionally, the settlement could now, this is a a kind of quote from an article, um, could now quote embolden Dominion to be more aggressive in their other defamation suits. So of course, Fox News wasn't the only company that was kind of spreading lies or misinformation about um, Dominion's role in the 2020 election. Um, And so they had this big case out against Fox News. I think obviously, well, I guess for now, like, that was probably the biggest, highest profile, um, because Fox News is such a, like, a bastion of conservative thought, um, and, you know, the other things that they have um, cases out against, Newsmax, OAN, Mike Lindell of My Pillow, like, none of those are, none of those are particular, particularly serious. Like, there are people who are, you know, quote-unquote middle of the road who are still watching Fox News. There is nobody watching Newsmax or OAN that you're ever going to be able to get, you know. Uh, there's nobody that's going to be convinced by anything. So um, this is, I think, obviously this is the first trial that we've gotten any kind of result from. But I do feel like it's probably kind of the highest profile case, despite the fact that some of the other, um, some of the other kind of uh, trials in the same vein. Are maybe of like higher monetary value Um, but I think that this is still pretty big in terms of just the names that they have associated um, with the cases Um, and so again Dominion is now going to be a little bit more aggressive with those cases Um, if they choose to settle they'll settle for maybe a lot more money Um, but also it might mean that the um, the people that they are suing Mike Lindell, Newsmax, OAN, whatever are going to be more interested in settling for a higher amount of money um and like are going to be a lot more concerned about what might happen if they go to trial which is pretty interesting um so it's going to be interesting to see kind of what these like longer term consequences are because obviously again people are annoyed that um dominion didn't take fox news to court and just said oh i'll take the money and i'll go that was $787 million, so it's like, I get it, I understand. Um, So people are annoyed about that, and they really wanted there to be some larger reckoning, but it's still possible that that larger reckoning is going to come, and it's not just going to be against Fox News, it's going to kind of be against the whole institution, the whole thing, the whole, you know, monolith that kind of served to... um, Kind of continue perpetuating these election lies uh, throughout the throughout the aftermath of the twenty twenty election. So I think that there still could be um, like larger consequences yet to be seen. Um, and I let's see where was I? I think the other thing that's interesting, kind of thinking about this all in terms of January sixth and the January sixth hearings, I think is very interesting. Um, The fact that, I'm trying to figure out how to word this because I did not word it well in my notes. I think that there's an interesting difference between the economic impacts to Dominion, which we kind of saw in this hearing, and also like the personal impacts, which I think we saw a lot more in the January 6th hearings. Um, Because obviously you can't like monetize the fact that people got death threats. Um, but I think that there's that's an interesting component of it as well, um, where like a lot of people who worked for with around Dominion uh, came under a lot of scrutiny, a lot of fire became, you know, a little bit more fearful for their lives in a lot of situations, um, which I think just goes to show kind of the larger impact of election lies and denialism outside of the like direct financial impact to Dominion and to other um election voting systems um that we're seeing out there and again fox admitted like in the settlement admitted to the fact that some of their statements about dominion were false which is fine and of course you know dominion is getting um you know comeuppance in the to the tune of 787 million dollars um but there's also no real uh consequence there kind of on the like personal side of it uh, which I, I just think is like an interesting consequence of the whole situation. And again, in terms of, like, this is what a lot of the January sixth hearings showed. Um, and you know, we saw. I don't know if we heard of any heard from anyone directly who works for Dominion, but we did hear from you know just, just traditional election workers who you know came under a lot of fire and were in kind of a more dangerous situation because of the election lies that were perpetrated by Fox News, by OAN, by Newsmax, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I, it's, I wonder if there's going to be any kind of additional levels of legal action on that basis. But anyway, um, yeah, but again, you know, they, they, they gave up their opportunity to extract an apology. They gave up their chance to go through with a trial that would be pretty embarrassing for Fox News. Could Dominion have afforded to do like a multi-month trial against, you know, a rich, powerful news organization? Like maybe not. Um, and they also, you know, they got the money that they wanted, so it's it is kind of what it is. Um, and I also again wonder what it would actually do to Fox News, right? Like, if would going would going to tr- would, okay. Both on on both ends, this is kind of a little bit like what I'm talking about with with Trump the past couple weeks is like what what's the point here? Um, because the settlement isn't really gonna do anything to Fox News. They're out 787 million dollars, but that's okay. Um, they, you know, had to acknowledge that they said things that were inaccurate. Fine. everyone's already forgotten. they've already moved on. So let's then like do the thought experiment. okay. Um, let's, we want this to be more drawn out. We're going to assume that Dominion has the financial, legal, you know, human resources, uh, you know, needs covered to be able to pursue this multi month, fraught, financially complicated trial. Okay, they do it. And again, is that actually going to do anything to Fox News? Is Fox News going to be you know, pushed to the sidelines by a trial like this? Are they really going to be that embarrassed? Are they really going to have to, like, tuck tail and run away? Um, I don't think so. Again, I think that we just don't... It's it's hard for, like, the traditional news media to um, think in terms of the full scope of Fox News slash Trump brain, right? Like, the the hardcore viewers of Fox News are not going to change their views because of the result of this trial. And if anything, you know, kind of similar to what we were talking about with the Trump trial, um, is that Fox News being forced to publicly apologize might kind of further embolden the idea that there's kind of some grand conspiracy against conservatives, against Trump supporters. Um, We talked about the fact that the Trump lawsuit is going to be really probably more helpful than detrimental for the Trump campaign as long as he doesn't win, right? And I think this could be the same situation here where, like obviously I guess Fox News is trying to go straight, I guess. <laughs> um, but they're still you know, they still need the backing of that kind of hardcore conservative viewership. Um, and I think that they're I don't I don't I don't see there being Maybe it's just because I don't see there ever being consequences in politics anymore. There's no consequences for anything if you're a, you know, a rich old white man. Um, I just don't, I I, I can't even comprehend there being consequences for people's actions anymore. Um, And maybe that's just like a dark view of um, American politics at this point. But I just don't see anyone ever being held accountable to any anything for anything meaningful um, at this point in time. Again, and I don't know. I don't know. I think that people just do heinous things and they are not held accountable for it, and there is no structure anymore for accountability. Okay, that's depressing. But like, it is what it is. Whatever. <sighs> All right. That was really depressing, but it is how I, I feel is the case. But anyway, so as like a little bit of an addendum, we talked about we have this couple of open cases um, that Dominion has open, so we are working through that. Um, but we also have a couple other um, election technology companies that have open cases right now. Um, Smartmatic is another one of the... Um, Kind of election technology companies that Fox News spread lies about Dominion for some reason was just the one that we heard with more, um, just heard about more. I don't know. I didn't hear about hear much about Smartmatic, but I definitely heard about Dominion. So I don't really know. Um, I don't watch Fox News though, so any of my any of my Fox News news I get secondhand. So whatever. But Smartmatic has a 2.7 billion dollar defamation suit um, against Fox. And recently said in a statement that it will expose the rest um, of the misconduct and damage caused by Fox's disinformation campaign. So they basically said, all right, all cool that Dominion settled, but like we are going to get all of this information out there. We're going to show the impact of this disinformation, um, so on and so forth. So again, we this is still ongoing. It's all still ongoing. And... As with, I feel like as with everything, nothing exists in a silo, um, and of course we're three years out from from 2020, it's 2023. Um, so, you know, these, despite the fact that 2020 is behind us, um, we've still got a lot coming. Although it will be interesting to see how these open, assuming that a lot of these cases are still going to be open in 2024, while companies like Smartmatic and Dominion are operating during the 2024 election, it will be interesting to see how news companies talk about specifically Fox News, OAN, Newsmax, whatever. It will be interesting to see how they talk about um, the election results and whether or not they kind of are a little bit more careful with their reporting um, moving into this new election. So it'll be interesting to see their consequences consequences on that front. Maybe there won't be individual consequences, but there will be some kind of upshot in terms of um, the quality of news reporting in this country. We'll see. We will see. Whew. With all that being said, we're going to move on to McCarthy Budget News. boo 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 boo, boo, boo. So... Uh, I just I just know that one was a banger that one was a hit you guys are love that sound effect um, a couple semesters ago we were talking about the budget like every week and I just simply like can't do it anymore I hate talking about the budget I think it's interesting but it's like it's the same thing every week of they proposed this thing and they said no to this thing and then they're gonna go back to the drawing board and they're gonna come back with something and everyone's gonna say no Um, because that's what, and then we're gonna get really, really close to the deadline, and then we're gonna threaten a shutdown for two weeks, and then we're gonna pass 14 continuing resolutions, and we're just gonna continue to resolute until we die. Anyway, but we've gotten a lot of, uh, we've gotten a slow trickle of budget news over the past couple weeks, got some bigger developments recently, so we're gonna do all of this news in one, or we're gonna do, we're just gonna do the big pieces of news now, And I will, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll do, well, no, I've only got two more weeks, so never mind. This is the the last piece of budget news you will ever receive. That's probably not true, but regardless. (sighs) So, the federal budget, of course, starts in the um, House, um, which, of course, means that it is the kind of first real legislative test for this new set of, Kind of already embattled GOP leadership. We don't need to get into all of the drama about how McCarthy got to his position, but we know, we get it. Um, and of course, there's been a lot of conversation that I don't think I've talked about because I haven't wanted to, but I'm sure you've seen it in the news. Um, there's been a lot of drama about the debt limit. And that actually was one of the things that really came up in McCarthy's election as Speaker. Is that p- members of the House Freedom Caucus and a lot of, like, m- you know, the, the the real, real deficit hockey financial, re- you know, whatever, guys, were saying, like, you cannot raise the debt ceiling again. If you raise the debt ceiling again, like, I will murder you. Um, and so, of course, this is the first chance of McCarthy um, being able to actually test out whether or not he is able to get away with kind of getting around that debt debt limit situation um, and of course the the we're you know rapidly reaching um, our you know max debt we're ra- rapidly reaching that ceiling and so we either need to raise it suspend it or just go into the catastrophic um, financial downturn globally because we are going to have to um, what's it called? Oh boy. Default, default on all of our debt. I am really good at this, guys. Um, and again, so they—they're saying that we have about two months before um, we need to figure this deal out. And everyone has been—I mean, it's been a lot of like, they're—they they won't negotiate with me. They will negotiate with me. They won't negotiate with me. Um, and so that's kind of been a lot of the news over the past couple weeks is just everyone making contradictory statements about who's willing to negotiate with who. Um, but this new plan, so McCarthy just released his budget plan, and of course that's going to start being, that's going to be voted on in the House. Uh, it's going to immediately die in the Senate, but regardless, so this is like the first um, First try, like, pie in the sky, like, if we could get everything we wanted, like, this is what we'd get. And the, the plan basically says, okay, Democrats, we will lift the borrowing cap for one more year, we will raise the debt ceiling for one more year, um, if you basically give us your firstborn child. It is such a, like, obviously I didn't read the whole document, but just reading summaries of it, it's like such a bad deal it's a terrible terrible deal Um, I was reading it and I was literally cackling because I was like this is the kind of way that like Batman villains negotiate they're like if you let us raise the debt ceiling for like we'll let you raise the debt ceiling one more year if you let us murder your grandma what? what are you talking about? so obviously I'm being dramatic also it's called you know I'm, 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 it's 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 uh, it's all for the drama whatever um, so the new plan again lifts the borrowing cap for one year in exchange for spending cuts policy changes um, it is cutting spending pretty aggressively while still protecting Trump era tax cuts for the wealthy so they're okay fine um, they're also imposing work requirements on recipients of welfare which makes me crazy because, you know, of course, they're going to implement work requirements for recipients of welfare, but they're not going to implement any kind of subsidized child care. They're not going to do anything to make it easier for families to, you know, have their children. So it's going to rapidly increase the price of um, any kind of, of child care. But of, mm, mm, it's so freaking <sighs> makes me crazy. Um, it's just, again, because... Re- Republicans don't like poor people, <laughs> and they don't like women. Uh, anyway, also, um, Freedom Caucus folks um, added measures to repeal tenets of um, the Biden legislation. Biden, you know, um, climate healthcare legislation, including the tax credits that they implemented for incentivizing the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. So I assume that includes the tax credits that they were going to implement for um, electric cars and things like that, um, and they're also going to get rid of the new set of money that was allocated to the IRS. Um, something very funny—I like skimmed this article, but you know, it seems like kind of recently that the IRS has become this like favorite target for the Republicans. That they're like, oh, you want to make more IRS cops. People are, like, very dramatic about the IRS cops. Um, but, again, it's it's uh, somewhat inexplicable to me because everyone loves to complain about, like, the government not being efficient, and, and Republicans love to, love to complain about that, and everyone likes to complain about the fact that they don't get their tax return on time and that it takes a really long time for them to, um, you know, figure out their taxes and, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, you know... Hiring more people to work for the IRS, the like giving more money to the IRS, makes that it will all become more efficient. But I guess that's neither here nor there. Um, let's see, it also, the plan also bars the administration from enacting its student loan forgiveness plan, which I don't quite understand how that fits, but whatever. Um, and it also includes a bill to expand domestic mining and fossil fuel production. So again, it's it's a wish list of, like Lex Luthor style demands of like let's make it that, whatever I can't get into it whatever, um, Biden's response of course was that the the plan was nonsense um, and that the cuts will result in shrinking the number of people who administer social security and medicare making those systems more inefficient it's going to increase costs of child care and housing um so on and so forth which you know if you can believe it i tend to agree with um so that's you know th- those are the kind of like the main tenets of the plan right now um and the other interesting aspect of this is that Um, Obviously, the debt ceiling is a very complex issue within the Republican caucus um, and within kind of Congress in general. But punting that debt ceiling question to next year makes it even more significant kind of across the board, um, because that means that that reinvigorated debt ceiling battle is going to be happening right in the middle of a presidential election. Um, So then 2024, the presidential candidates are going, and all of the congressional candidates, everyone who's running in 2024, is going to kind of have to um, decide how they, you know, they're going to have to run on raising the debt ceiling or not raising the debt ceiling. Um, And it's going to bring a lot more attention to the issue of the debt ceiling. um, And I just think it's, it's going to make the matter even more politically complex than it already is. Um, So I think that that is also just kind of an interesting dynamic there, where they're saying, the, the Republicans are saying, oh, we'll throw you a bone and we'll raise the debt ceiling. But also that might bite you in the butt come 2024 because... It's going to be hard to kind of run on this idea of, like, fiscal responsibility, blah, 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 which, like, again, requires something else we talk about in my public speaking class is that if your, you know, your speeches and your forms of persuasion rely on your audience not knowing the difference between policy alternatives or just being misinformed, then you're actually not, you know, you're not being effectively persuasive and your rhetoric is, you know, sh- you know, should be criticized and should be called into question um, because it's not that you're actually persuading people who know the difference, it's that you're just appealing to their ignorance. And I think that that's a, a lot of what's happening with the debt ceiling debate is that the um, Republicans are relying on the fact that people don't understand the debt ceiling, they don't understand the consequences of what not raising the debt ceiling is actually going to do. And I think that that's suspect. Eh, whatever. I'm feeling a little bit unhinged today. I think I'm saying a lot of things that I shouldn't be saying. Um, but anyway, the, so beyond also just like the general um, outline of this plan, it's also just very interesting to think of it from, from just a political perspective and think about it just from the perspective of Kevin McCarthy. So, of course, we've talked about ad nauseum that Kevin McCarthy is dealing with a very difficult caucus and really needs to prove that he can do something with that caucus, um, that he can successfully accomplish a legislative goal, that he can pass you know, a policy, that he can keep this extremely narrow um, group in line. Uh, he has a lot of naysayers on his side of the aisle and a whole bunch of naysayers on the opposite side of the aisle Um, and of course the idea of him saying oh we'll punt the um debt ceiling question to next year might not appease the whole um freedom caucus group um and of course this debt limit bill there's no guarantee that he will be able to push those, even if he does manage to get everyone on his side, if McCarthy does manage to pass this bill, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to push it through the Senate or get it, you know, signed into law by the White House, both who are both of whom are demanding a, you know, no holds barred um, debt limit increase. Um, And, of course, they only have this two-month window to get everything through, Um, although, of course, you know, they'll continue to resolute, as I discussed. And the democratically controlled Senate and the democratically controlled White House, frankly, have no real um, reason, in my eyes, to negotiate with this bill. The bill is not a good one, in my view. Um, And I think that they you know, they said, oh, well, we'll, we'll let you um, raise the debt ceiling for one more year and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think that uh, there's, there's so much in that bill that it's not worth it for that one year debt limit increase. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but again, McCarthy has a very short way to get everything through. There's a disconnect between himself and his caucus. There's disconnect between his caucus and the Senate. Um, There's very little communication and negotiation between the White House and Kevin McCarthy. Um, McCarthy could be the subject of a vote of no confidence at any time, etc, etc. So again, this whole situation has the opportunity to be very um, politically embarrassing for McCarthy, and at the very least, probably very politically underwhelming. um, Because again, as I said, this bill um, that he presented, again, is the pie in the sky. Everything that he wants in a bill, he is going to put in there. Everything that he can do to get the entire caucus on board. But again, once that goes to the Senate, once they start to negotiate, that's when things start really getting slashed. Um, and that's when there has to come some some larger negotiation, some larger um, concessions. I think, on both sides. Um, anyway, it's, a, it's an evil Batman bill. <laughs> it's not great. Uh, and the other other interesting point that I will mention and then move on with um, is that, of course, they're, you know Kevin McCarthy is claiming that this bill is going to drive down government spending. It's going to drive down the deficit so much, blah, blah, blah. Um, but no independent agency has yet reviewed the economic impact of the plan there's no evidence yet to kind of substantiate the claims that the plan is actually going to shrink the deficit. And in fact, analysis found last year from an independent board um, that repealing the health, climate, and tax bill that I mentioned that has those, um, you know, greenhouse emissions uh, elements and things like that, um, eliminate or the repealing that bill will actually serve to increase the deficit. Um, So despite the fact that He's you know saying that it's going to shrink the deficit so much we still don't have the um, backing yet to know for sure if that is the case. So that's what we got right now on this budget process. Um, now that this first plan has been revealed, we'll start kind of the negotiations will start happening a lot faster. Um, And again, that deadline for when we're going to hit the debt ceiling is this summer. And so we will be um, talking more about it come then. And we will see a lot more about it um, when that all rolls around. So, now, last but not least, we are going to um, talk again about some shootings that happened this week. And I was really trying to figure out a way to get around talking about this, because I don't like talking about gun violence, it makes me sad and unhappy. However, there was enough that happened that I really do need to talk about it, because there were two cases that happened basically back-to-back, basically identical, um, that just, you know, indicates, we we talk a lot about assault rifles, we talk a lot about mass shootings, we talk a lot about school shootings, um, but I think that sometimes we tend to ignore those like smaller acts of gun violence Um, and so I think that it's important that we you know chat about chat about this this part of it as well. So there were two maybe three um, shootings this week of individuals who mistakenly had gone to the wrong door or wrong car and been shot by the owner of the house. Um, So this first case that happened last Thursday a teenager in Kansas City named Ralph Yarl was shot after ringing the wrong doorbell when he went to the wrong house to pick up his younger brother. And an 84-year-old man who lived in the house um, shot him through the door um, because he thought that his quote-unquote house was getting broken into. Um, he has been charged with first-degree assault. Um, Ralph Yarl is alive but obviously in kind of critical condition. Um, and This is kind of it reinvigorated this kind of conversation around um, gun rights once again. Then, kind of almost back to back, a 20-year-old woman in upstate New York was shot and killed when she pulled into the wrong driveway looking for her friend's house. Um, And the shooter basically came out of his house and shot her in the car. Um, The shooter is being charged with second-degree murder because this victim was um, uh, killed again so again this has been kind of drawing a lot of renewed conversation around gun laws particularly around the idea of stand your ground laws so we haven't talked about this too much but it's always a topic of conversation kind of when you're talking about gun control so the basic principle of this type of legislation is that if someone is invading your home you have the right to defend yourself as you see fit so there's the kind of standard your ground laws and like cast castle doctrine kind of associated with each other different the same um but the idea is that you have a kind of a legal presumption of self-defense if you harm an intruder when they are breaking into your house so like if you, someone is you know mugging or someone is break someone has broken into your house your you know quote unquote castle and you kill them for whatever you know because they're in your home you kind of have the Or you harm them, you, you know, punch them in the face and they break their nose, like you're not going to get sued for breaking their nose because you were defending your own home. Um, And so again, that's the castle doctrine is just the idea that you have a legal presumption of self-defense. Fine. Um, stand your ground laws go a little bit further than that, kind of based on the same principle, where kind of in the castle doctrine, they... If the the idea is that self- de, if you can defend you can use self defense if as your last resort if there's retreat possible you have to retreat um but your ground laws means that it's okay if self defense is your first response so if you can't leave the home if you can't you know do anything else you can't get away from them at all um under castle doctrine you're allowed to use self- defense um, understand your ground laws, you can shoot somebody through the door and maybe that will be okay. It's not, but that's, that's the idea that's being fought right now. Um, sorry, I need to take Enjoy my, you know, water drinking sounds, I guess. Um, so maybe slightly controversial opinion on this. I don't know. I think that I think that self-defense is fine. I mean, obviously if someone is breaking into my home, I wouldn't want to kill them because I'm n- don't want to do that and I would never do that. Um but I st- I understand the claim to want the right to defend yourself in those kinds of situations. So I get that. But in these situations, the people who are invoking the stand your ground laws are seem to me to be pretty clearly wrong. Um Again, it's pretty clear in these situations that these principles don't or shouldn't apply. Um, And there's, you know, there's also, you know, okay, so yeah, wow, I just completely lost every thought in my brain. It's pretty clear in these situations that these principles don't or shouldn't apply. Um, There was no indication that there was fear, there was no, on on the part of the shooters, there was no indication that, um, the anyone was trying to break into their homes. There was no indication of any of that. Um So, you know, they weren't breaking in. They had no intention to. They were shot through the door. It wasn't like they were banging on the door. Um And again, there was no report of reasonable fear in either case. People, there was a New York Post article that said that the 84 year old man who shot Ralph Jarl had a, a no solicitation sign on his door, which According to them somehow makes it better that they shot him in the head Um, but You know that doesn't just because no solicitation sign also has no like real legal holding whatever Um, But again that doesn't kind of make it so that the castle doctrine or stand your ground laws actually Would take effect in this situation. There's also You know, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that stand your ground laws don't do anything. The idea is that um, self defense laws kind of make um, people second, you know, make people not want to commit the crimes because they think that they're going to be kind of in more physical danger. Um, And it also allows people the opportunity to protect themselves. On both of those cases, there's no evidence that these pieces of legislation actually do that. And so, you know, self-defense laws are all well and good, but when they are kind of weaponized um, in a way that is more destructive, then that's when things start getting bad, especially because, again, if these laws are proved to be ineffective, and the only impact that they have is having multiple young people kind of shot within within a week of each other, then it's time to readdress those pieces of legislation. And again, I think maybe I have somewhat of a of a, maybe, a controversial opinion in this light, um, but I don't really think that there's anything... I mean, okay, I will say I'm not an expert on this, on these pieces of legislation, but I think that there is a way that we could implement self-defense legislation, um, without kind of allowing it to become a weapon against innocent people. Um, and even, you know, even if you're, um breaking into someone's home why does why is the homeowner the judge jury and executioner you know everyone everyone should 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 get their day in court and you shouldn't kind of put the law in people in vigilante's hands i don't know i think that there is something that could be done there i'm just not sure if there's a way to do that in a way that is that is ethical whatever um it's also really going to be interesting to see if there are racial disparities in how these laws are applied. So, you know, there's different sets of laws in New York and in um, Missouri, which is where that first shooting happened. Uh, but again, there, so there's, the, of course, there's the two different cases of the two different sets of laws. There's also, you know, two different types of victims. There's a young black kid and a young female kid. Um, and whether or not, you know, things, because, again, these things happen so back-to-back to each other, um, it's going to be interesting to see if these cases get prosecuted really differently um, and, and whether or not those outcomes are, you know, so different. Um, another important detail on, oh, I just messed up my whole document. Um, another interesting thing on the Stand Your Ground laws is that, um, you know, some, some famous cases of Stand Your Ground laws being implemented, George Zimmerman, who killed Trayvon Martin, um, and Kyle Rittenhouse, who killed those protesters um, two years ago, three years ago. So again, we have evidence of stand your ground laws maybe not being the best thing for the world. Anyway, kind of letting, letting people become vigilantes, letting them become judge, jury, and executioner um, in a way that uh, is probably not a good thing. Almost certainly is not a good thing. Because why should some rando with a gun be able to, you know, deal out justice how they see fit? They're not trained law enforcement professionals. I just came around. I came around. I'm, I'm, get rid of these laws. Get them off the books completely. I don't care. I don't like it. Mmm, I'm angry. Okay, anyway. Um... I also wanted to talk very quickly about, this is This is kind of silly, but kind of, after my first reaction of these cases, which was just like, what are you even talking about? It made me think, you know, I've always got a campaign angle. There's always a campaign angle. Um, but, I think that's something that's a very interesting consequence of all of this now, again, as kind of gun violence is becoming more and more ubiquitous... I hope they use the word anyway. I hope I don't. I hope I don't sound like I'm minimizing these situations, but I just think it's an interesting consequence. Again, is that political campaigns, especially like local campaigns, really rely on canvassers who are going out knocking door to door? Um, And it's going to be very interesting, I think, to see how many canvassers are sent out in for the twenty twenty four campaign. So many of these campaign volunteers are young people, um, and I think that a lot of field organizers and a lot of campaign managers are going to feel a little bit nervous about kind of sending young people out onto the streets, knocking door to door, um, because, you know, generally you're you're not, I mean, a lot of the time you're knocking friendly doors and you're just making sure that they go out and vote, um, but what are the odds that you accidentally knock on the wrong door or the wrong person answers the door and suddenly You know, you're putting these canvassers at physical risk. And there are certainly cases of canvassers um, kind of having real issues that have happened in the past. um, So it's not a completely unforeseen issue. And again, canvassing always comes with like some level of danger, which is why campaigns usually send people out in teams of two. But like a lot of campaign interns, they'll just send out one by one because they're more experienced, they kind of don't need the support. But I could really see there being a big push of kind of canvas or safety, um, which is really kind of freaky and scary, but it is going to be an interesting interesting to see the way that those campaigns change their procedures and their policies. I don't know what the Republicans do door-to-door campaigning, but I think that Democrats, you know, they might have to do some gun safety training and say, here's what you do if you are put in a situation like this. Um, and I think that maybe those rules are going to become a lot more stringent that, you know, in the past, like technically, political campaigning does not mean, it's not solicitation. So if someone has a no solicitation sign on their door, like political campaigning is not Solicitation Officially, legally, at least in New Jersey. Um, but I, I could say there kind of being a trend of, hey, if there's a no solicitation sign on the door, don't knock on the door, don't knock on the door. It's not worth it. It's not worth your, you know, your physical safety. Um, but I think that there's just going to be a lot of consequences around that. Um, and as the political environment just becomes so much more aggressive, and as so many more people have access to guns, as things just get more dangerous, um, it's going to be again just interesting to see kind of what those unforeseen consequences are um, in in states that have stand your ground laws, um, because who knows who can kind of hide behind that legislation in a way that's really dangerous and really scary. Oh, um, but anyway, let let's we're just going to. I'm tired and my throat kind of hurts, so I'm just going to do my fun little story and wrap up one or two minutes early today. But here's my fun story of the week. I love a little animal story, and this was New York Times headline that made me actually cry real tears. An eagle who adopted a rock becomes a real dad. So there was a, there was a bald eagle in Valley Park, Missouri at a bird sanctuary who had been incubating a rock, and the keepers did not have the heart to separate them. And so when this baby eaglet um, didn't have parents, I guess his parents died. I don't know what happened to his parents. But then they gave Murphy, the, 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 the father, the father of the rock, his own little eaglet to be the stepfather to. And I just think that's so cute. It's literally so cute. I'm actually in tears thinking about it right now. Murphy... He's not a stepdad. He's the dad that stepped up. I love him. Love you. Love you, Murphy. What an icon. What a legend. It's not political, but it is a fun little animal story. And I think that sometimes we all need a fun little animal story. Whew. But with all of that being said, that's all I got for you today. Um, Enjoy your weekend. It's going to be like 90 degrees on Friday, so that'll be fun. Um... I'll be back next week with a little bit of a, a last five semesters in review episode. So, if you're listening and you are, you know, a long-time listener and you have any particular stories, segments, moments um, from the last five semesters that you find particularly funny, memorable, interesting, smart, let me know because I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, and so I'm excited. I'm excited to to talk to y'all next week. I'm gonna do some some hardcore analysis, and uh, you know, onwards and onwards and forwards. Alrighty. Well, I will talk to y'all in the next one. Have a great week.